Masechet Nedarim Dafnun Zayin. The entire Amud Aleph is a long Mishnah, and then we'll see the Gemara on it on Amud Bet. Kunam perot ha'elo alai. Kunam hen alpi. Kunam hen lefi. Asur bechilufehen ubigidulehen. Mishnah teaches that if a person makes a vow using the a more general formula, we'll contrast this in a second with just eating. He says these fruits are prohibited to me, kunam like a korban. Or even if he says they're prohibited to my mouth, or on my mouth, on my mouth, or to my mouth. In that case, the item itself is prohibited in its totality, kind of like someone is making it hekdesh. If I take something and make it hekdesh, uh, I'll say a fruit, and even if I plant it and then it grows into a new fruit, the whatever gidulahen, whatever grows from it, also is prohibited. And chilufahen means if I exchange it for something else, because hekdesh, its own value is hekdesh, if I exchange it for something else, the monetary value, whatever substitutes for it, will also be, be will, will, will then will become hekdesh. And so this type of korban, where I'm saying the fruit itself is prohibited, that prohibits um, not only its replacement, but also what grows from it. In contrast, Shani ochel, shani toem, mutar bechilufehen begidulehen. However, if I say this fruit is prohibited for me to eat or to taste, in that case, I am not making the entirety of the fruit itself, its entity, uh, prohibited to me, but only the aspect of it that has to do with eating. So then I can't eat it, it itself. But if I exchange, I have some apples, I exchange them for oranges, or if I plant them, and something else grows, the thing that grows is something new and that I am allowed to have benefit from. I am not eating the original item. The chidush here of alpi and lifi is that even though to my mouth or upon my mouth does suggest that I'm, it's going to be used for eating, still that doesn't matter. That's still included in the more general formula of this fruit is prohibited for me. Even if I say alpi for my mouth, it's not limited only to eating. However, he says explicitly, I'm not going to eat this fruit, then it's only the aspect of eating that fruit that's prohibited, but a replacement or uh, something that grows from it is, per, is permitted. Now, this last statement is, is qualified. It's only permitted for me to eat, let's say I have an apple, and I plant it in the ground, and now the apple withers away. All that's left is a seed. The seed also withers away and crumbles up, and then sprouts a new tree. So there, in the new tree, in the new fruit, there is nothing left of that original apple or apple seed. So that's why... Um, uh, if I say shani ochel, what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to taste, then I would be permitted to, with uh, to eat either the oranges that I'm uh, exchanging for it or the new thing that grows from it, because it is completely destroyed in its original. However, if I'm talking about, let's say, an onion, where I take the bulb of the onion and I plant it in the ground, and the onion itself sprouts, and the onion remains there, and then I would want to eat eat from it, that would be prohibited, the, that, the growths of that would be prohibited. Even though I only said that I'm going to eat, this is now growing from the original onion itself, and I said I'm not going to eat the original onion itself, and here the parts of that original onion still remain, and so therefore I cannot eat it. 
this is quite interesting because this would be a good source to um, to to research the question of artificial meat where you take in one uh, actual meat cell and then you grow artificial cells from it. So uh, this could have relevance as to whether, uh, depending on how it's made, is that original substance from, the, from that meat still there and now it's just growing from it? Or does that completely uh, disintegrate, dissolve, and what's there is now something completely new? So that could make a big difference and here would be a source for that distinction. Okay, Haomed Lishti, Kunam Maseya Daich Alai, Kunam Hem Alpi Kunam Hen Lefi, Asur Bechilufehenu Begidu Lehen. Okay, all this would be true if the object of your vow is not the fruit, but rather your wife. A husband tells his wife, um, like a korban will be your the works of your hands. Now, although this is something that didn't come yet into existence, right? We saw before that you can attach the prohibition on her hands, which do exist, and therefore anything she makes with her hands, anything that she may uh, sow or cook or harvest from the field will be prohibited for me to get any uh, benefit from. And even if he says on my mouth or to my mouth, suggesting that he's not going to eat it, um, in that case, the prohibition falls once again on the essence of the item. And therefore, even if uh, she went and uh, she harvested some apples, and then uh, those are prohibited. And even if you switch them with oranges, because I made the vow on anything that she does, so then the essential uh, value of what she she has there is prohibited to me, like hekdesh, and just like hekdesh, something that replaces it would be prohibited, and also uh, something that will grow from it will continue to be prohibited. However, if I if I say instead shani ochel shani otoem, I say anything that my wife um, uh, uh, does with her hands, I will not eat and I will not taste. In that case, I'm limiting the vow only to the eating and tasting of that, but not to all benefits from that item. So therefore, in that case, I'm permitted to have a replacement. She prepared an apple pie, but then uh, we replaced it, we traded it for a cherry pie, so that would be permitted because I just said I'm not going to eat. I only limited my, my, my uh, prohibition to eating that apple pie. I'm not eating apple pie. I'm just eating something that was exchanged for its value, but that I, that's, that's okay in this limited vow, or something that grows from it. If there was a, uh, a pit in there and the uh, apple seed, that's something that totally gets destroyed if it would be replanted. Unlike if she prepared, harvested some uh, onions, and then those bulbs were uh, replanted, then that would be something that is there, is there in its original. It's just that it grew more, and that would be prohibited to eat, even in this limited she'eni, she'eni ochel formula. <clears throat> okay, we're continuing now in the Mishnah with the wife cases. She'at osa eni ochel ad ha-pesach. Shat ad If a husband tells his wife anything that you make, any food that you make, I will not eat until Pesach. Right from now, let's say it's Purim, and he says from now until Pesach, I will not eat anything that you, uh, any food that you make, or anything that you make, I will not wear anything, any clothing that you sew, I will not wear until Pesach. 
Now that time frame is going on uh, his his actions. I am not going to do uh, this um, uh, right. Anything that you do um, ever, I'm not going to. I'm not going to use until Pesach. So in that case, the time limit goes on the husband's action. So that astalifne Pesach. If she made it before Pesach, doesn't matter when she makes it, even if she made it before Pesach, he nevertheless, he is allowed to eat it or wear it after Pesach because he only said that his vow is in force, that he will not use uh, benefit from her food or from her clothing um, from now until Pesach. So that just means he can't eat it before Pesach and he can't wear what she makes before Pesach. But after Pesach, that's it. The vow has a time limit and there is no prohibition afterwards. So even though she might have made it before Pesach, well, she was allowed to make it before Pesach, just he was not allowed to benefit from it. And he didn't. And so you can put a time limit on, in this case, the, uh, the, his, his action. Uh, but you could also do the other, the other way around. Shat osa ada Pesach eni ochel. Veshat osa ada Pesach eni mitkase. Here he says, whatever you cook for me, whatever you cook before Pesach, I am not eating. Whatever clothing you make until Pesach, I am not wearing. In that case, it all depends on when she cooked or made the item. If she made it before Pesach, then he is prohibited from it at any time, even after Pesach. Um, so because he put the time limit frame on when she made it, if she made it before Pesach, it will be prohibited forever. If she then make, if she makes it after Pesach, then it would be permitted. Good. Shat nehenit liada Pesach im holechet at lebet abich ad hechag. Now we take that and we add one layer of complication. We add a condition. Uh, condition is, a husband tells his wife, "You cannot have any benefit from me." From now until Pesach, let's say it's Purim, right? From Purim to Pesach, no benefit from me. If you go to your father's house from now until Sukkot. So this guy, he doesn't want his wife going to the to his in-laws. Uh, she spends too much time there. He wants her to stay at home, whatever the reason is. Um, as, uh, but the time frame for the if, right, if you go to your father's house is much longer. It's from Purim all the way till Sukkot, right? Seven months. She's not allowed to go there. Even though the then part of it, the consequence, the prohibition, is only that she will not be able to have benefit from him from now until Pesach. So the consequences of this would be clear. If she decides to violate this vow, well, violate the if, rather, and she, she triggers it, and she does go to her father's house before Pesach, well, that's the if. Though the if kicks in, and then the, then is the consequence, she will be prohibited from any benefit from him until Pesach, right? Then the prohibition of the vow will kick in, even though that has a time limit. Um, if before Pesach started, she didn't yet go to her father's house, but she did receive benefit uh, from her husband. In that case, the if is still pending, right? Because the if part of it goes all the way till Sukkot, um, even though the consequence part is only till Pesach. So then it's pending on her action. Once she did receive benefit from her husband before Pesach, then it's going to be a problem for her 
if she goes to her father's house at any time before Sukkot. Um, because if she doesn't go to her father's house for, and all the way until Sukkot, then it turns out it was just fine that she received benefit from her husband before Pesach, because then she will have never triggered the if. However, if she does go to her father's house at any point before Sukkot, then that will trigger the if, uh, will trigger the prohibition of the then, and then uh, retroactively, it will turn out she was not allowed to go to, to benefit from her husband. And therefore, if she did benefit from her husband before Pesach, and then now at any point from Pesach on till Sukkot, she goes to her father's house, then she retroactively um, violates the vow, and she is guilty of a bal yachel, right? So this is this is an interesting case because uh, the uh, the the if uh, is extends for a long time, actually extends past the consequence of the vow, the prohibition of the vow. So you have this really interesting consequence um, uh, case where uh, she has to, if she did the, do the violation part before Pesach, it's not a violation when she did it because she didn't yet go to her father's house. But if in the future, before Pesach, she before Sukkot, she goes to her father's house, then it turns out she would not have been able to uh, benefit from her husband and she would violate. Okay, and now we flip around the the the, the short and uh, long parts of the time period here. The husband says uh, to her to his wife, "You may not have any benefit from me from now until Sukkot, if you go to your father's house from now until Pesach." And once again, let's say there uh, we're made there at Purim at that point. So, so the point is, don't go to your father's house anytime from from now till Pesach, and if you do, then you can't have any benefit from me from now all the way until Sukkot. So the consequences would be If she does go to her father's house before Pesach, well, she doesn't violate anything. It's just that then she triggers the if clause. Uh, therefore, that prompts the rest of the vow that there is a prohibition for her to go to have any benefit from him until Sukkot. As long as she doesn't benefit from him, she doesn't violate the vow. However, in any case, she is permitted to go to her father's house after Pesach, because after all, the entire prohibition, the uh, or rather the, the if part of the if clause, was only that if you go to your father's house before Pesach, but the husband totally permitted her to go after Pesach, there was never any problem with that. And so she's always allowed to go after Pesach. Okay. Okay, we're going back to the, that clause of the Mishnah where a person says uh, to his wife, uh, your actions, anything that you produce is prohibited to me. Well, in that case, those things would be prohibited, um, even their, their, what, what he, uh, their replacements and even things that grow from it, um, because he's saying that the essence, the thing itself, is prohibited to him. All right, now we have a question. Ishmael ish kefad yama. Vamdi la ish kefad dima. Ishmael, either from this place or that place, he'ela biyado, 
בסל שעקרו בשביעית ונטעו בשמינית. ורבו גידוליו על עיקרו. He has a very interesting question. He seems to be some kind of farmer, and he holds in his hand, there's two interpretations, that he has a question about an onion. Either that he brought up a question, or maybe he actually brought up an onion, uh, an actual onion, that this was the case. All right, I think it's more interesting if he's actually coming to the Bet Midrash and asking a question about this onion. The question is, you have an onion that was uprooted in the seven, in, in, during the Shavuot year, and therefore that has Kedushat Shavuot. Um, but then he replanted the onion in the eighth year, and now it grew, and the growth, the new growth, is more than the original onion. So, should we follow the majority, which is new growth of the eighth year, and therefore is totally permitted, or uh, do we say, well, it still has some of the seventh year growth, and therefore it would have Kedushat Shevi'it. Here was, was his question. Do we say that what grew, the new growth is permitted, and the uh, original part of the onion bulb is still is going to be remain prohibited? Uh, so since the majority is the new, uh, the new uh, uh, permitted growth um, is, is more than the original. Do we say that the new uh, will uh, um, do they remove the prohibition and now it's all permitted like eight year, eight, eighth year growth or do we not say that? Do we say that original is still there and therefore whatever is original is still prohibited? Okay, that's his question. Ishmael asks Rabbi Ameh, and Rabbi Ameh did not have it in his hands, uh, which here is not literal because he's not holding any, any onion or anything. He didn't have the answer in his hands. But there's a nice parallelism that he comes with a question in his hands, maybe literally with an onion in his hands, and Rabbi Ameh has nothing in his hands, but he has no answer. Uh, but don't worry, uh, this farmer is going to keep um, searching for an answer. He figured it out from this following statement of an interesting name. It could mean that uh, uh, maybe from the word three, you know, the third, um, or maybe from a place like Carthage. Okay, whatever his name means, he said. If you have a uh, an onion that is tiruma and therefore it's, it's only only a kohen could eat it, it's prohibited to anybody else. But you plant it, and now it grew a lot, and the new growth is more than the original. The whole thing is permitted, and therefore this would be the same thing. You had the original onion, which was shivit, but now. Uh, more of the growth is from the eighth year, therefore the whole thing should be permitted. Good, we have a great answer. But Rabbi Miya rejected it, uh, or some say Rabbi Zedika. I told her to be Yitzhak Napacha. It's great you followed this one opinion of the Anai, but you're going to leave two opinions and follow only one? Right? You're going to follow just this minority opinion and, uh, and ignore the other two opinions that would prohibit? 
Oh boy. Okay. So man nihu teren. Who are these other two opinions that would prohibit such a case? Damar biabhu amar biyochanan. Yalda shesibecha bizkena uba perot. Here we're talking about a vine that is prohibited. It's orla. But you take this young vine, yalda, meaning young vine, so that's why it's orlan prohibited, um, and you graft it onto a zikena, onto an old uh, vine. The old vine is permitted because it's past four years of its growth. Uba pedot, on the young vine, there are also some, there's some fruit on it. So the fruit on the young vine is orla, is prohibited. Even though the younger vine added 200 times the numbers of fruit um, after it was grafted and it grows a lot of fruit, nevertheless, those original fruits that are on there are prohibited. Um, so here you see a similar case where uh, you have uh, an original piece there that is remains that was prohibited and even though it grows a lot more than that we do not say that the new growth overpowers the old growth um, and kind of makes it now one big mixture of permitted no we say the old growth that was prohibited remains prohi remains prohibited so you see that this is no opinion number one that is stringent that's Rabbi Yochanan uh, against Rabbi Anai. And the second one, this is Asur. We take an onion and we put it in a vineyard. Now this is Kilayim. So this is all prohibited. But then we, we uproot the vineyard and we leave the onion. So now we uprooted everything. Um, and uh, and so now whatever new will grow should be permitted. And so now the onion grows after that, right? After you removed all the all the vines, and so all the new growth is permitted, even if the new growth is more than the original onion that was that was planted in prohibition. Nevertheless, it is prohibited. So here we go. S same same case, similar case. And Bionatan says. We do not say the new growth allows you to eat the original, but rather the original remains prohibited. So uh, we have a problem here. Now this is going to be two against one to say to Yishmael, sorry, right, you're, he's still holding the onion in his hands. Uh, your onion is a problem. We have to consider it should he eat food. Uh, but Ishmael the farmer did not give up. Hadad was the original one. He went and asked the question to um, uh, in the first place, right? And he 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 didn't know the answer back then. But he did his homework. And uh, so he came back. So he came back to Rabbi Ameh. And Rabbi Ameh was able to figure out an answer based on something Rabbi Yochanan himself said. Even though we actually, the, we just quoted Rabbi Yochanan that prohibits. But we can derive a different answer here. We have a litra, it's a certain measurement, it's a pretty small measurement and it's in its own volume, uh, but it might be uh, talking about a litra of silver, which would be a large sum. So that means, uh, probably means um, the amount of onions that you could buy with a litra of money. Anyway, it doesn't matter. You took this number of onions and you took Tiruma and Maaser. 
and then and then after you separated it properly, so technically the next thing you would do is give the Turamama set to the Kohen and, and Levi, and then you'd eat the rest. But instead, this guy didn't do that. He took all the whole litra, all the bitsalim, and he planted them. He took all these onions and he replanted them, both the Tiruma and the Maaser and the uh, and the Chulin. And he put it all in back into the ground. And now it all grew into more than was there originally. So what should he do now? The halacha is he has to give Maaser on all the new growth. Every, all the old growth and new growth, everything that's there, he has to give ma'asad on it. So here we're being machmir and we're saying, even though you took already ma'asad from the original crops that you, that, that, that before you planted them, nevertheless, we're not going to consider that ma'asad to be anything. And you have to take ma'asad again on everything that's here. So what do we see from here? That the whatever grow whatever grows, the new growth neutralizes or cancels out the original. It's true in the original, you already took Maser, but now that they grew more than was their original, everything that you did before is cancelled out, and you take Maser for the entirety. And so here the BMA is able to prove that according to the Biochanan himself, uh, yes, we follow the new growth. However, we reject this. First of all, we'd have a contradiction between this statement of Rabbi Yochanan and uh, Rabbi Yochanan right over here. But independent of that, um, this is not a good proof because this is l'chumra. Uh, here we're saying you can't rely on that ma'asad um, and uh, assume, oh, I already took ma'asad on that, so I only have to take ma'asad on the new one. Here we're, here we're saying the new growth, we have to, we're not sure what it is. So you know what? Because we have to take ma'asad, uh, maybe we have to take ma'asad on the old growth. We're not sure. Maybe it does not, not it does not nullify the old. So for to be stringent, we're going to require you to take more ma'asad on everything, the new and the old growth. But maybe that's because we're being stringent because we don't really know what to do with it. But in the opposite case, for leniency, we would not use the follow the new growth for leniency. And therefore, in your case, Ishmael, where you have the original is 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 prohibited, and the new is atheer and is permitted, we would also be unsure, and we have to uh, and we have to assume uh, also for stringency. And in this case, stringency would be to consider the um, uh, the new growth as not part of the old, and it does not nullify the old, and therefore the old growth remains prohibited and is not is not uh, reconstituted, not redefined by the new growth. So in other words, uh, we can't use this as a proof because perhaps we only follow the new growth, which is more, and consider the old as part of the new, only only for astringency, but it doesn't mean that we would also follow it for leniency. And we're going to continue on the next half with uh, further proofs regarding this very question. Um, so you can see that even this uh, this continuation will have a lot of uh, um, a, a lot of applications to uh, stem cells and uh, artificial meat um, because you know we want to now know first of all if the original is made from pig and now we have new right so that would be for uh, for stringency, but it could also be other cases where it's maybe the original is kosher meat, and now we just want to know, you know, is the what grows from it uh, a parv or 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 
or considered meat or dairy, right? And so it, it could there, there could be cases of both stringency or leniency. And so these are these are all very good sources that uh, when we decide that halacha, we'll have to take into account. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen. Amen.